One of the challenges when you talk about fearing God, I'm just going to be honest here, is the word fear. Right? One of the challenges about talking about fearing God is the word fear. Now, the word fear is a translation of several Hebrew words. It's a translation of one Greek word, or almost all uh, of them, but it's a word that we get phobia from. So fear is a pretty good word there, right? Because a phobia is something that you're afraid of. But because we use the word phobia, doesn't mean that we should necessarily translate this Hebrew word into the word fear. There's, there's, there's choices we have. So I don't want to cause confusion with the word fear. And that's something that I actually feel a burden about. I want you, by God's grace, to have the right kind of fear and not the wrong kind of fear. And that's a real danger in talking about fearing God, right? It's what is this right kind of God-pleasing fear and, and, and as compared to a wrong kind of fear. So fear can communicate the wrong kind of emotion for a believer, right? Fear, in a sense, may not be the right word to communicate the kind of emotion that you should have. Uh, you know, things that we're afraid of. And we, we've talked about, we talk about afraid of mice or afraid of spiders. That's a very different kind of fear than fearing the Lord. You could be afraid of a forest fire coming. That's a, a, a potentially a different kind of fear too, particularly for those who are saved. Fear can describe a child hiding from their alcoholic father who's going to beat them. That's a very different kind of fear. But we use this one word for forest fires, for spiders, for being beaten by an alcoholic father. We use this word fear for all of those things. And so I think that that's, it's, I'm just recognizing that there's a danger with this word fear. And, 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 and I'm a little uncomfortable with it. I'm going to talk, but I'm not sure that we have a better one. Fear can also be a good thing, right? It can make you more cautious. Should a fireman who knows what they're doing, a skilled fireman, have fear going into a burning building? Yeah, right? They're, they're, they're going to need to exercise caution. They know what could happen to them. So, so, so fear could be a very, uh, a word with a lot of nuances to it. So I looked up, and, and, and I don't always kind of, kind of enjoy doing this thing. I, I, I think it can be stretched a little far. But what does the word fear mean? And... And I think it kind of helps us launching what we're kind of thinking about here. It's, in one source, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. I'm going to read that again. You think, is this, is this really the right word? Is this the word we want to use to talk about our relationship with God? An unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Is fear the right word from that definition there? No. David say no. Why, David? Right. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, an unpleasant emotion. Well, for the believer, fear shouldn't be an unpleasant emotion. I would say particularly if they're walking in obedience. You know, uh, Jerry Bridges has this book called The Joy of Fearing God. So the joy of fearing God. There's, there's, there's some other words we could use besides just fear. It's also an unpleasant emotion caused in this definition by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. 
Okay, do we fear God because he's likely to cause pain? Well, we know what Romans 8.1 says, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is he going to cause pain to the believer who's passed from death to life? No. Right? So fear, again, it, it comes up a little short. Uh, now, if you're walking in disobedience to the Lord, fear being a, an unpleasant emotion could be appropriate, fearing the Lord. If you're currently, whether because you're, you're, you don't know him or because you've chosen to be rebelling against him. Okay, but let's look at some, some uh, other. So, so some other de, 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 some, some other. Descriptions, excuse me. Uh, it's the likelihood of something uh, of something unwelcome happening. Okay, so so there's this place of something unwelcome. Uh, we're going to talk in a little bit. Should the believer think of judgment as an unwelcome thing? I'm going to argue no. The believer who's bearing fruit in their life should be able to look forward to judgment. It shouldn't be unwelcome. Maybe some of though that gives you pause right now as you think about it. Like like, am I eager to go before before Christ's judgment seat? I think that the believer should be. Yeah, let's, uh, uh, so, so those are just some of the kind of po- possible thinking about the word fear. But I still think it's the best word in light of the other possibilities that we have. Uh, some, some, so some other kind of nominations uh, of how that word in the Greek could be translated could, could, could maybe be to revere. To revere God. You know, it has some churchiness in there, right? You imagine a big cathedral. We want to revere God. Revere is kind of an archaic word, though. When was the last time you used revere instead of talking about Paul? Uh, thanks. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Uh, revere comes from the Latin that means to fear. So revere really doesn't get us very far, although nowadays it might have more a sense of respect or devotion. Okay? Uh, respect, I would say, is not a strong enough word. People are told to respect themselves, respect one another. Respect is not, I don't think, a strong enough word. Although some of your Bibles may have translated fear, fear as respect. Awe is another potential word, right? To, to fear God, to awe in God. I think that that's getting a little closer, but you can find awe in something, but that doesn't necessarily require you to have a sense of direction as well. And that's what we've been talking about, fearing God. The fearing God has a built-in idea of a sense of direction to it. Because of who God is, we're going to respond to him with direction toward him. You know, you can take an awe at a beautiful sunrise or a sunset, and it doesn't necessarily require direction on your part. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay? Now, maybe if you have, uh, you know, an awe of the Grand Canyon, maybe that's a little bit closer, especially if you're closer to the edge, right? Like, ah, this is beautiful but dangerous. And I think that that combo idea has some of the sense of fearing God. He's incredible, uh, but the only way I can come to him is through a sacrifice, we know now that's the sacrifice of a son. In the Old Testament, it would have been an actual sacrifice. So there's that sense of beauty, but distance and, and, and safety. And it's tough not to quote, although it gets quoted too often now, and it's probably more so because 
Piper is read by many people who love C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis describes Aslan. You guys know where I'm going with this. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that Mr. Beaver in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe describes Aslan as he's a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's kind of, I think, a neat thinking about fear there. You, you wouldn't say he's safe. He's not cuddly. He's dangerous. That doesn't mean that we have to fear judgment, though. All right? So we're going to try to uh, work through there. So, so all that being said, I kind of still think that fear is the best English word that I have now. Revere maybe would have been good at one time, maybe more so in the past. It's kind of be, 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 become, become archaic. But I just wanted to kind of balance that out because some of you may be leaving fear like, like fear. I can only think of unpleasant things. Or maybe I, I, I was abused as a child. I know what fear is. This is not fear that I think of of my loving father. So, so, so I just kind of wanted to, 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 to balance why I'm choosing that word. I do think respect kind of, kind of falls short. Uh, awe, it just isn't, it's, it's just not, it doesn't have necessarily built in the sense of, uh, of uh, severity as well. So let's uh, begin, and I'm going to review the first couple points from, 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 from last week to get, get everyone up to speed. Um, if you've got your notes there, we're, we're, we are not going to look at, at part one, I uh, reviewed m more of that extensively last week, that part one is from the uh, first week. Uh, but what we talked about last week is fearing God in the church age. And so I do, I do want to remind, and I've got some, some slides here, and I'm going to go through quickly the uh, slides from, oh, so, 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 so here we have kind of how I, it's a working definition. I'm sorry, it's a working definition because I keep kind of refining it. Uh, but, but just what does it mean uh, to fear God? And so, so fearing God is responding to God's revelation of himself in a way that is appropriate. And I really like that. It's listening to everything he says. It's not just God's coming to judge, and so I respond to that. It's also looking at, at any revelation that God says, to, to look at his commands and say, I'm going to obey it. To look at his offering of a sacrifice and say, I'm going to run to Christ. Okay? It's responding to whatever God says. It says, he's my creator. What he says to me, I'm going to listen. So I'm going to obey. I'm going to have direction of running to God instead of running from him. Uh, and, and, and we saw this in, in Psalm 31, 19. It's a great verse. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. And that, we see those two parallel ideas. Fearing you is not opposite of taking refuge in God. Those are parallel ideas. Fearing God means you take refuge in God. And why would you take refuge in God? Because you fear God. So ref fearing God means you run to him. You hide in him from him. You run to his son instead of running from his son. If you ever find yourself running from God, that's not fearing God. That, that's not responding to revelation the way that, the way that he requires. So fearing God is, is finding refuge in him. Uh, we, we, we saw a bad example in, in Isaiah 2, 19 to, to, to 21 of those who are running from God. And they've got their arms full of their idols. And the last minute, they ditch their idols so they can keep running. 
wait, you're going in the wrong direction. Don't go hide in the caves. Don't, don't, don't hide from God. Instead, run to God. So as they see judgment coming, they, 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 they run from God. That is not the fear of the Lord. It may be a fear of judgment, but that's not fearing the Lord. A, a fearing of the Lord will bring us to God. Uh, so I did want to, to extend upon it. Oh, I can see how my uh, slides worked really well there. Okay, so fearing God, and, and so I built upon this last week. Fearing God is responding to God's revelation of himself in a way that's appropriate, especially, but not only, the revelation that God is judged. And that really came from looking through all those verses uh, that talked about fearing God. And there's a bunch of them, hundreds of them, and they all have something in common. It really does have to do with having to give an account to God. So, so, so I've kind of have 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 rephrased that there. Oh, that's where it went. Or, okay. So you could say that God's judged, but that might be a difficult concept to some extent because like, well, I'm a new creature in Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ. Why would I fear God as judge? And so, although that is language that the New Testament uses, you, 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 could, you could rephrase that a little bit, especially but not only the revelation that you will have to give an account to God. And, and, and I found myself often, when, as, as, as I've done this series, I've been talking to you afterwards, that that's a, a nice way to think about it. Uh, or, or, or maybe not a nice way, but, but a helpful way. Since coming to Christ, since conversion, you know, I don't want you to be afraid of coming before God as judge. The lost person should be afraid of coming before God as judge. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to give an account for how we've... Uh, used the new life that in Christ he's, he's given us, that we are going to be judged by him, that we're going to be rewarded for obedience. I'm sure we can all look at times of our life as we think back about it and think, you know, I was largely unrepentant during that period. I'm not saying that there was no fruit, but there wasn't as much fruit as there should have been. You may not look forward to that evaluation, that time of your life as much. You may also be in a place, maybe now currently by God's grace, where you're like, I'm growing. Like, like, like this is not something I've done to myself, but because of Christ living in me, because of my union with him, I'm bearing fruit. I'm looking forward to God evaluating how I've been obeying him. Now, that is the blessing of having union with Christ. We can look forward to being held accountable by God, to being even judged by him. Now, we're going to keep, keep uh, dealing with, with, with some of these ideas here, and uh, I'm just quickly going through uh, last week's notes because I really want to get to the, some of the verses that I know you're all uh, excited to, to get to that talk about uh, you know, the relationship of, of the believer with fear now. But I do want to remind us of Jeremiah 32, 39 to 40. Integral to the new covenant is fearing God. We, we, we see that at the end of verse 40. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. Why don't you turn away from God? Because God put a fear of you in his heart, in your heart. That's why you're still believing. You, you know, I don't want to leave. Now, there's other reasons, too. You were sealed with the Spirit. But, uh, and this is so important. Scripture has many motives for obedience. You know, I was, I was talking to a friend who said, the highest motive is love. And I, and I think that that makes sense. Why should we obey? Because of how awesome God is. Because how gracious he is. Because of everything that there is so amazing about him. I love him. How could I displease my father? But there's other tools in the toolbox. And Paul uses them. 
Peter uses them. And one of them is, is fear. Now, Jeremiah says in, in promising the new covenant, he's gonna, God's spirit is going to put a fear of God in you so that you would never leave him. So that's part of why you don't leave them. Uh, but we look at Acts 9.31 also and look at the, the last part of the verse. I just love this combo. The church was growing in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And how sweet for those things to work together. I have a greater and greater sense of awe, a greater sense that I have to give an account for this new life in Christ that I've been given. But I'm, I've been comforted by the Holy Spirit. I'm being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at the verse. As the Holy Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father. Right? I, I love my Father, but I'm growing in the fear of Him. Now again, this is not a fear of an alcoholic father that just flies off the handle and is going to beat on you. It's not that kind of fear. I think by God's grace, my children still fear me in a healthy way. And I think that that's what you want for your children. That they have tons of affection for you. But they also know they're not going to cross that line because there's going to be consequences. Because there is going to be discipline. Is that discipline because you hate them? No, but because you love them. So that fear and affection are, 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 are intermingled. And we see that in the early church. And obviously Luke is saying that that's a good thing. We went through several verses, and I'm just going to fly through them. So, 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 so our first point last time, and I, and I filled it in on the first page of, of your sheet there, is that fearing the Lord motivates us to excel in obedience. And we, we looked at several passages here, Romans 14, 11, and 12. Um, uh, for, for, as it is, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So that's Paul talking to the believers there about giving an account of themselves to God. You might, well, that might not have a sense of fear there. And we saw in Philippians 2, 11 through 13, a very parallel idea. Again, it's showing the exalted Christ. So then Paul quickly follows in verses 12 and 13. Uh, so then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That fear and trembling was, was, was taken from the Greek version of the Old Testament, and it means fear and trembling. It's what people felt when they were before God. So he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to give an account. For it is God who is working you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So encouraging, right? It's God who's working in you so that you can give him an account for the salvation he's given you. Like, like this is good news. This is, this is, this is serious but it's not scary, particularly if you're walking in obedience. Uh, for 1 Peter 1, 16 to 19, we, we, we looked at uh, how Paul, how Peter calls them to be holy, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as father, right, it's encouraging, it's comforting. He's your father. Uh, if I had more time, I would read through 1 Peter 1. It is so full of the certainty of our salvation. You know, and, 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 and I plan, plan to do it later. We'll just do it now. I, I think it's so good to put this verse in that context. Uh, in 1 Peter 1, it's so encouraging. I was just reading this, this a week. Uh, so go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter 1. I think it's new stuff too. But 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
total confidence there, right? You've been, you have a living hope. You, you, because it's, it's because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This is certain. Your inheritance is sealed. You have this to look forward to. This is good news. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What certainty is there, right? Faith, I mean, uh, uh, a salvation ready to be revealed. God keeps you believing. His power keeps you believing. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe that this is for the believer, that they're going to be rewarded at the return of Christ. There's praise and honor and glory. This is, is, is a theme in Romans 2. And though you've not seen him, verse 8 of chapter 1, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your, of your faith the salvation of your souls. So full of encouragement there, right? This is certain. He's confident. These people are saved. They're looking forward to, to salvation. Jump to verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not judgment to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Condemnation to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is good news. When Jesus Christ returns, you, you, uh, grace is going to, to be brought to you. This is going to be finished. This is, this is exciting stuff that doesn't stop Peter from saying what he does in verse so, so I'll just keep reading verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in, in ignorance. Don't be what you used to be. But like the Holy One who, uh, who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then there is a warning here. Now, he has this warning here in context. After all this amazing salvation promise. They're so looking forward to this. He, he's, he's, he's like guaranteed it. You, you guys are waiting for this. But if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in a fear during the time of your stay on earth. Isn't it amazing? It's so good. You, you, you know that. So since your father judges each one on the basis of their work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay. He's not saying this to throw them into a salvation tailspin. Wait, do verses 1 through 16 really apply to me? But there, there, is, there is pause here. Our Father's an impartial judge. He's going to be looking to see if we've obeyed him. And then he goes right back to encouraging them in verse 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your, futile, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb and blemished and spotless. Again, he goes right back to the encouragement. I know this about you. You guys have been redeemed. Christ gave his blood for you. So it's an encouragement sandwich, right? As Ben likes to say, is Ben here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 puts, he puts a strong thing here, but it's surrounded by lots of encouragement uh, of, of, of his confidence of their walk with Christ. Now, we looked at, at other verses, but I want to make sure we get to new content as well. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 
9 through 11. Uh, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we uh, persuade men. Again, the context of being before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in, in the fear of God. We also looked at our second point, fearing the Lord guards our hearts from falling away. We looked at Hebrews 4, 1, and Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. Uh, again, the context there is Jews who are considering going back to the Old Testament law, kind of, kind of keeping Christ, but not making him, him as the, the, the supreme uh, way of being saved. Uh, so kind of just going back to a simpler Old Testament law. Uh, and so uh, the author of Hebrews has strong warnings. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. I do think that that's a very parallel warning we can give to our brothers and sisters Christ and now. Don't give up. Don't fall short. Keep pursuing Christ. Keep believing in Christ. Keep having him as your only hope. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. Uh, and you guys can, 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 can read more of that later. Okay, but let's go ahead, and I'm going to switch now to my current notes. And... My next point is fearing the Lord doesn't mean we dread death and judgment. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean we dread death and judgment. How do we as believers face death? How do we think about standing before God as judge, about our giving an account? Are are, are we supposed to just be terrified about this? Are we supposed to have a constant kind of uneasy, nervous feeling? Are we supposed to have apprehension? I like like the word dread. I think that's another decent translation for the word fear. Are we supposed to be dreading this this judgment seat? We know too much of God's word uh, to to, to say that, right? Hebrews 9.27, we know it's appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment. It's, It's true of all. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. It's, it's, it's not up there yet. Yeah, I, I, I know we're all curious about this verse. We're going to get there. 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Paul says, I fight the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to have loved his appearing. Is there a lot of anxiety there in Paul's tone? He's eager for it. He's like, I've done it. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Faith. There's waiting for me a crown of righteousness. I can't wait to be before Christ. And I love hearing that. You can look forward to giving an account of the new life that you've been entrusted with. In uh, Philippians 1.23, and we studied this not too long ago, Paul says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Is he, is he saying there, I'm dreading being with Christ, because it's going to be very awkward and uncomfortable when I, I have to tell him about how much time I've wasted or the actual television shows that I watched. Now, maybe that gives us pause, because we do know, wow, I've wasted a lot of time. I watched a lot of things that I shouldn't have. But I think, you know, we can be encouraged here seeing Paul that that, that that doesn't change, it doesn't have to change the way we look forward to the return of Christ. To be better with him, to be before him, I can't wait. It's not just like, I just can't wait to get through judgment and to being with him. I 
I think that's missing out on some of the beauty of what the gospel does in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 2. I'm, I'm sorry, he's not on the slide. Uh, for indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. He's waiting for that new man, for, 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 for that completely, he already has the new nature, but for that new body. He knows now, I'm yearning for Christ's finished work. I'm yearning to be with him. So, let's look at this then. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean we dread death and judgment. So, if, if you have your Bibles, go, go, go ahead and turn to 1 John. When I put up on the screen 16 to 20, so I'm going to go ahead and read those. I'll start at 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Verse 16, 1 John 4. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We may be tempted after reading 1 John 4.18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. To think that fear in God is incompatible with loving God. Now, if we were to say that, loving God is incompatible with fearing God, we'd have to discount a lot of New Testament verses. And we just, we, we just have reviewed those. It's not a tension that the Bible faces. But I think it's a tension that we can face as we seek to understand what this verse means. So what kind of fear is being talked about here? What, what kind of fear do you think the Bible is? What kind of fear is First John talking about? Does anyone want to add? Yeah, right, right, okay, yes, it's an unpleasant emotion. An unpleasant emotion of what? Like, like why do, is there this unpleasant emotion in 418? What? Yeah, right, because of pain, of punishment, right? So that is the fear that's being described of here. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in, in, in love. So fear involves, or, or the word there, fear has punishment. And the word here for punishment is the word uh, for, for painful chastisement or punishment. It's the only other use in scriptures, Matthew 25, verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The only other time it's used in the Bible is in the context of eternal destruction. Now, this, this, this fear here, and, and again, you, you, you can see that this is an example of a place we wouldn't really want to translate this word as, as respect or reverence. But we could maybe translate it in 418 as dread. And I really think it brings out some of the sense of this verse. There is no dread in love, 
But perfect love casts out dread because dread involves punishment. And the one who dreads is not perfected in love. Now, maybe some of you still fear or even dread punishment. And I think that leads to the next question. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that, that about any of you. I, I don't know. But maybe, but maybe you do. What kind of love is being talked about? He describes it as a perfect love. Now, that doesn't mean that it's 100% perfect love, like, like, like this is the holy love that God requires, and I have 100% done this love perfectly. John knows that believers still sin, right? We see that in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. So it's not saying only people who have managed 100% perfect love have this kind of freedom from fear of punishment. But he is describing here, and that word perfect is really a, a mature love, a completed love, kind of a finished love. And he's used this phrase previously in First John, and I know you've, you've gone through First John in your care groups in the past. First John 2, 4 through 6 talks about this perfected love. The one who says, I have come to know him. Yeah, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead. 1 John 2, 4 through 6. And we're, we're going to be 1 John a little bit because I, this is the verse that probably, no, it's by far that the most of you have asked about. How can we fear God? Doesn't perfect love get rid of fear? So 1 John 2, verses 4 through 6. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been, been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And we see there what that perfected love is. It's someone who keeps his word. It's someone who abides in him, who walks in the same manner as he walked. The person who is experiencing this perfected love is someone who's walking in obedience. We see that again in 1 John 4, verses 11 through 13, our more immediate context. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We see here it's a very combo deal being a Christian. I use combo deal maybe twice. Uh, I don't go to 7-Eleven a lot, really. Okay. So we see that love is perfected is, is, is right in combo with loving one another, God abiding in us. We, we see, see that in verse 12, 1 John 4, 4, 12. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Those who have his spirit love one another. They have God abiding in them. Love is perfected in them. All those, these things are interwoven to describe, and John was encouraging them. You guys are real Christians. You guys are, like, this describes you. Now, it may have been a pause for some of them to say, wait, I may not be saved. But overall, John is an encouraging letter. First John is an encouraging letter. And he's encouraging them that, 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 that God is abiding in you. So that brings us to 1 John 4, 17 to 20, as we look at the rest of the context here. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Wow, right? Because as he is, so also are we in the world. That's tricky. And, 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 and different commentaries have different ways of explaining 
that, that the, the difficult phrase. Uh, because as he is, and, and, and it could be because he's accepted in, the God, in God's presence, well, we are accepted in God's presence. It could be because as he is, because as Jesus loves, that's how we are in the world. We are loving. And that's the way that, that I would take it. It definitely matches up with, with the context and, and the flow of the book. That, that, that as Jesus is, as Jesus loves, we in this world are currently loving. And then he says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love, so again, we come right back to that. We love in verse uh, 19 because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one whom does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John has just this interwoven, uh, having the Holy Spirit, God abiding in us as we love one another. This is the person who has this perfected love. Now, let me ask you, why does this person who has this perfected love not fear punishment? What does he know about himself? He's abiding. He has God's spirit. He's walking in obedience. This person is bearing all kinds of evidence in his life that they are saved. Now, this, again, is not the only reason why someone should have confidence. We, we, we just quoted 1 John 2.1. We have a propitiation. You know, when, 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 our, when our sin accuses us, or when the accuser accuses us, we have a propitiation who is Christ. But there is also this, this reality that as we are obeying, as we are walking in love, as we are loving one another, as we are having God, uh, we are abiding with God, that we don't fear punishment. And that's probably true of many of you this morning as you're walking in obedience. You think about Christ coming back, and you can't wait. Now, I do think that something difficult happens in the lives of those who are not walking in obedience. And, and, and I can't spend a ton of time there, but if you turn to Second Peter, and perhaps there's some of you who fear judgment this morning. It may not be because you're not saved. You may be saved, but in a place in your walk where you're not walking in obedience. So if you go to 2 Peter 1, and, uh, um, and, 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 and again, you know, uh, Peter, to, 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 to use the uh, language, he gives the indictives before the imperatives, right? In, in 2 Peter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You've got everything you need. He's, he's, he's abundantly supplied you. So then what? Uh, so, 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 so it says in verse 4, For by these he's granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption, that's in the, the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, because everything that God has already done, the promise is given you, because you've already escaped, escaped corruption, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in the ESV it says, make every effort. Apply all diligence. Work really hard at growing. 
And then he, he, he tells them how. But he says in, in verse 8, after listing all, the, all these qualities, For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now that verse there, 9, is fascinating. For he who lacks these qualities, for a Christian who has stopped growing, who is not making every effort, who is not building off of the imperatives that overflow from the indicatives, right? What happens to them? They're blind. They're short-sighted. They forgot their purification from their former sins. And I think that that's an example of not perfected love, right? The person who has a perfected love has no fear of punishment because he's walking with the Lord. He knows he's going to have to give an account, but there's no fear. The person, though, in 2 Peter 1.9, um, who hasn't been making every effort, who's not really letting what he believes to be true affect his life, has, has, is blind and short-sighted, has forgotten his purification from his former sins. He doesn't, and I think it's describing, I mean, we could talk about it later, but I think he's describing someone who doesn't know if they're saved anymore. He doesn't have a whole lot of confidence because he's not been obeying. And so that makes judgment a very different thing. Now, follow, though, the, the, in 2 Peter 1, 10, 11. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And the ESV is, make your calling and election sure. Wow, that's crazy. How can I make my election sure? I can't, I can't go back in eternity past and elect myself. No, he's saying, bear fruit. If, you know, prove your elect through your obedience. Make your calling and election sure. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Doesn't that sound a little bit like work salvation? Work really hard, and you'll, have, you'll, you'll be abundantly welcome into heaven? Well, we know that that's not true, right? We know we're only saved through faith. But there is this, this time in the believer's walk where they become uncertain of their salvation because they haven't been making every effort. And it's almost as if he's saying here, you don't know if heaven's doors are going to be open to you. What a horrible place for a believer to be in. Now, all, now, now the point of this, yes, we, we, we are talking about the opposite that happens, but this is an encouraging verse in 1 John. The person who is being perfected in, in love has no fear of punishment. He says, Christ is coming back. Bring it on. Bemis, see, I am so ready. I've been walking in the Spirit. I'm abiding. I've been loving my brethren. I get to give an account for the new life that he's given me. Now, is that ever in pride? Like, wow, I've done really well with this. No, we know we're only rejoicing what Christ is accomplishing through us. Let's, uh, yes, and first on 2.28, I mean, there's, uh, it describes so well the reason for our confidence. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shriek away from him in shame at his coming. We don't want to shrink in shame at his coming. So what is our confidence? We abide in him. We remain in him. And that person can't wait for Christ to come back. Uh, now, we want to also look at Romans 8.15, which is the worst transition ever, but we're going to do it because I'm running out of time. Romans 8.15. Another really cool verse about not fearing God. 
Romans 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And you might be thinking, wait, but I have God's spirit in me. I know that he's my father. Why would I fear him? Like, I didn't receive, and Paul's saying here, I, th I think by spirit, you didn't receive a Holy Spirit of slavery to sin that would make you dread judgment, that would lead you to fear again. No, you, you've received the spirit of adoption that cries out in your heart, Abba, Father. Now, I do think it is helpful also with this verse uh, to build context. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 8. It's kind of cool that we just recently studied this. Well, fairly recently. I guess it'd be kind of like a year now, but it was fairly recently. Okay, so Romans 8, and, and we know how incredibly Romans 8, 1 starts off. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? It couldn't be any more encouraging. Those who are in Christ Jesus will never be condemned, right? The, 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 be, being before God in judgment has no fear for them at all. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then Paul encourages them by talking about this incredible difference that's gone over them, that, that, that they are no longer those who uh, have, and, and, and it describes, let's see here, um, they, they, they are those who have the law of spirit now in verse 2, instead of those who previously had the law of sin and death. And let's see what verse... Uh, uh, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on, on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And he's encouraging them. This is not just a call to, to obedience. I don't think that's his major, his major point here. His major point is that he's encouraging them. You guys have the Spirit. You guys are obeying. You guys are different. You guys are bearing evidence in your life that you won't be condemned. You have the Spirit in you. So let's go to, to, to verse 12 to get the immediate context of Romans 8.14. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So he's, he's building some, some, some ramifications of this. It's not a command here, but, but it is saying, so since we have the spirit, since we have the mind of the spirit, we should not live to the flesh anymore, but we should be living according to the spirit. Verse 13, and this is sobering, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Is that a warning? Yeah. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the, by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this is what he believes of them. You are those who are living by the Spirit. You, you, you are those uh, who will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God in, in verse 14. And then he describes them in, in verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So those two things are parallel. Verse 14 in Romans 8, 4, Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those who are being led by the Spirit of God. What does being led by the Spirit of God mean? Walking in obedience to Him. Having the mind of the Spirit. Those are those who aren't condemned. We see that in the beginning of Romans 8. The ones who aren't condemned, who are the ones who are led by the Spirit, those are the ones who are the sons of God. So we can't just jump into Romans 8.15 and say, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's very encouraging. But he describes those people in 8.15, the ones who have God's spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, in verse 14, as those who are living by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit. These, these are the same people. 
These are the people who don't have fear. Why? Because they're walking in obedience. And why are they walking in obedience? Because they have God's spirit in them. They are not those who are condemned. Now, the opposite of those who are being led by the spirit of God, we saw them in verse 13. Those who are living according to the flesh. Verse 15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Those who are slaves to fear, who are dreading judgment, are those who are living according to the flesh. So, that, so that's where if you're in a place in your walk where you're like, am I living obediently? Like, I'm really nervous about judgment. You have to ask, well, am I living in obedience? Am I being led by the Spirit? Because it is good and, and necessary. I'm going to say it better than necessary. It's essential. Saving faith makes you keep clinging to Christ. But saving faith is going to have the fruit in your life of being led by the Spirit. So you don't want to always be trying to convince yourself, I'm saved, I'm saved, I prayed a prayer. I, 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 I remember I believed in Jesus, but my life is not marked by obedience. Really, I think that the opposite is too. If you find yourself a slave leading to fear again, it may be because you haven't been saved. If you're always dreading judgment, I think that let's talk afterwards. Because maybe you haven't gotten what saving faith is. Or maybe that you're not walking in obedience, which may mean you haven't gotten what saving faith is. We're not talking about perfect obedience. Let, 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 let's look at the next verse, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Oh, uh, and, and, and before we turn there, it is interesting, Romans eleven twenty to 21. So just as much as Romans 8, 15 talks about uh, that, that we do not have a spirit in us that making us fear judgment. Romans 11, 20 to 21 is really interesting. He's describing there the, uh, uh, how Israel has been put aside in God's plan and focus is giving to the Gentiles. Romans 11, 20 to 21. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, talking about Israel. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Again, so here we see in Romans 8, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. Yes. But he also, a few chapters later, says, fear if you become conceited. Like, th that's, that, that's a dangerous warning so sign. Pride in your salvation. Like, look at me. I deserve to be here. Oh, those Jews de deserve to be cast out. I deserve to be here. Is, is danger. You should fear then, because that is not matching up with what real conversion is. I mean, real conversion is you being humble before God saying, why did he save me? So it's just interesting in Romans 8, as much as we're told you know, that when you are being led by the Spirit, when you have the Spirit of adoption testifying, Abba, Father, we don't have a spirit of fear. Just a few chapters later, Paul commands us to fear lest we become conceited. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14 is another really good, good passage if you want to explore that idea more. Uh, between those, uh, and, and really, First uh, Corinthians 10, 10, 12 uh, is, is a good summary. The one who thinks he stands should beware lest he fall. And that's in the, in, in the context of confessing believers having ongoing unrepentant sin. Yeah. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 is, is another verse that seems it would indicate that God's uh, people shouldn't fear. And it's true, it does. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood... Uh, he himself likewise also partook of the same. So this is describing how Jesus became a man 
so that we, uh, so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that he had to become a man to die in our place so that he could render powerless him who had the power of death. I believe it's, it's Satan there. That is the devil. Yeah, that's why I believe it. And then verse 15, might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The person who is a slave of sin is going to be fearing, fearing judgment all their life. And if they don't, they should be. Now, Romans, uh, at the end of Romans 1, talks about that those, uh, um, that even lost people know that they're going to be judged. I say it's fairly universal that most people fear death. Okay? This is what Christ came to rescue us from. He rescued us from a fear of death. So all that uh, you can put together, and that's why that, that third point there is, uh, fearing the Lord doesn't mean we dread death and judgment. It doesn't mean we dread death and judgment. That is not what it means uh, to, to, to fear the Lord. Let's go on to our last one here. And we're going to run out of time, but fearing the Lord liberates us to love his commands and to look forward to judgment. And I think that this is a really sweet idea. Fearing the Lord liberates us to love his commands and to look forward to judgment. Right? Judgment is not bad news for a believer. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've passed from death to life. There is no more bad news in judgment for the believer. Now, you may, as you're held account, and I, I don't understand how all our emotions are going to play out, be disappointed as you see the wood, hay, and stubble get burned up. But by God's grace, because you're saved, you're going to see gold left, right? He is accomplishing good works through you who are saved. There are going to be rewards for you. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The person who fears the Lord delights in his commandments. The person who fears the Lord does not dread his commandments. You, 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 might, you, you might be tempted to think that. Well, if I'm going to be judged, well, shouldn't I just dread his commandments? Isn't just another kind of nail in my coffin saying this person is damned because of their sin? That was who we were before Christ Jesus. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you have new life. There's no more condemnation for you. We could add so many verses to that. That's just one that keeps popping up. I had more down here somewhere. No, you're freed. You fear the Lord. You, you, you know that he rewards you. you. His commandments are a delight. It doesn't lead to you dreading him, to thinking that God's an unpleasable ogre, but that you're, you're waiting for his commandments. Like, how can I please him? See, that's, I think, what knowing that you're not going to be condemned does to the Christian. It's what knowing that you have God abiding in you does to the Christian. Knowing that you have the mind of the Spirit what that does to the Christian. It liberates you to say, how can I obey? Give me some more commands. I can't wait to get the rewards he's going to bring. It's good news. We, 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 we see this in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse, verse 21. And, and that's a, uh, in that parable. Um, the master entrusts talents to his servants, two of them invest those, those talents so that they, they work hard and they bring back more. 
And his master says to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See, for the one who fears God, God's commands are an opportunity to bring him pleasure, to look forward to him saying, he's going to say, well done. He's going to give me more responsibilities later. I can't wait for him to come back. Look what I've got to show. Now, is this in a prideful way? Like, wow, I've got to polish up my gold because I've done really well here. No, of course, it's completely dependent. It's only what Christ is working through us. But we get to look with such joy at the master's return. This is completely opposite of the steward uh, of, uh, of the other one, and I know I've quoted this before, and we'll finish with this in Matthew 25. Uh, I already read 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. But Matthew 25, uh, and, and, and what the unfaithful steward did, uh, who, doesn't, who doesn't fear his master in any way. And I jumped ahead to a different passage. Okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. This is the way not to end, by the way. Okay. Uh, so, v- verse uh, 24. And the one who had, the one, the, and the one also who had received the one talent, or the one thing of money, came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. Well, doesn't he fear his master? This is not real fear. This, this, this is some, some, it's a lie. This is, this is not who his master really is. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you, you, you have what's yours. You entrust me this to it. I'm giving it back to you. Basically, I did nothing. Verse 26. But the, his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. If you really, if you really feared me, you would have at least gotten me some interest for my money. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. And then, verse 30, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the person who doesn't love his master, love his commands, and even look forward to his master coming back because he has something to show for what his master has given him. The person who just like, well, I, I don't really trust him. I'm just going to kind of hold my life for myself. Uh, going to kind of minimize as little obedience as possible. Not really delight in his commands. Demonstrates that they're, that they're not saved. So this is just such a, a, a defining moment for what salvation is, right? Salvation is taking the new life that God's given you, those great and precious promises, and maximizing on them. And when you, when, when, when you understand that I, I have new life in Christ, I pass from death to, to, to life, I'm never going to be condemned because Christ took my punishment. It liberates you to say, now I'm going to obey him as much as possible. But there's a breakdown there if you're like, I'm going to hoard as much as possible for myself. That's, that's, that's not the picture of saving faith. Let's pray and then we can talk as much as you want for any questions. I know that this is heavy stuff. is why I want to kind of, kind of talk about that word fear. Uh, uh, and my plan next time is to really talk more about how do we cultivate this. And it's really going to be looking at what God's done and his attributes. So I really think it'll be an encouraging time as we really, I think, bring some of God's transcendence into our everyday.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, uh, and, and really I trust for many of us, Lord, that what we were is no longer, that we are new creatures in Christ, that we have your spirit in us, causing us to fear you in that uh, way that we, we love you and we desire to please you and we know we're going to give an account and we want to, to maximize upon the precious blood of Christ rather than minimize it. Lord, I pray, Father, in our lives that we would have so much fruit overflowing, Lord, and, 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 and for us not to be looking backwards and, and, and condemning ourselves, Lord, but that we would look past towards even, even wasted years, Lord, even, even decades perhaps after being saved and seeing so little fruit, Lord, that we would cling again to the sacrifice of Christ in our, in our place, Lord, that our hope would be him alone, but that we would go forward, resolve to bear as much fruit for you as possible, Lord, that, that, that knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ would be encouraging to our hearts. It, 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 will, it would push us towards, towards, towards obeying as much as possible and towards dependently making sacrifices. Lord, I do pray, Father, that you would help us be faithful. I do pray, Lord, that if there are those here um, who really are evaluating and who realize that they've been in the fear of judgment their whole lives, uh, Lord, I pray that they would look to Christ alone. I don't want them to look forward towards future obedience as their hope, Lord, but to Christ alone, that they would find the forgiveness that is there in his blood, even as our songs talked about so wonderfully this morning, Lord, and that they would then go and, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance, whether it's 30, 60, or, or 100-fold, Lord. I know that you give us different talents. We just want to be faithful stewards with them, and so that when you return, Lord, we can look forward to saying we, we, we ran the race, we fought the fight. Where's my crown of righteousness? So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing uh, uh, in us and through us uh, through union with Christ. Please, God, give us wisdom in these uh, uh, heavy matters, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.